Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this season, this wonderful, beautiful time to celebrate the first and second coming of your Son. Lord, as we turn to your word, please open our hearts and minds to receive and by your Holy Spirit transform us to be more like Christ, that we would live kingdom-first lives. And it's in his holy name that we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. I'm excited. We have spent 14 sermons, 14 weeks, going from Genesis to Malachi, going through the Old Testament and seeing the way in which God was building his kingdom. We saw characteristics of his kingdom. We saw what he was trying to do in the beginning and the ways in which he returned to his people multiple times most significantly in the temple. But then last week, we also saw that God left the temple. That when his people, through generation after generation, refused to follow, he left the temple. And there's this 400-year period where the people are holding on to these promises that Yahweh will return. They're reading Isaiah, and they're reading Malachi, And they're going, he's coming back. He made this promise to Abraham. He made this promise to David. And he's coming back. And they're holding on to that. Even though generation after generation passes. And a new ruler comes in. And then they're conquered and another ruler comes in. But they're never really ruling themselves. And they're just waiting. And today, we get to see the beginning of the return of Yahweh. Around our neighborhood, they have started decorating. There are some homes with lights. Not a lot yet. More will come as we move towards Christmas. We have decorated the inside of our house, but not the outside. Uh, We're pretty good at the inside, I think. The inside of our house looks beautiful. In fact, it almost looks like Santa has vomited. (laughs) It's just everywhere. But the outside is plain, And it's because I tried decorating the outside one time. I apparently do not have the skill it takes to decorate the outside of a house. Now, what I did in order to save money is I waited until after Christmas one year and then went to Home Depot, where everything is like 85% off. It's also everything nobody wanted, and that's what we had to decorate our house with, everything nobody wanted. And so the next year I got out there and I just all over tried to decorate and there were lights that didn't work and they were falling down and it was a total mess. But the best part was my Santa Claus. We got one of those Santa Claus that you blow up and he was about this tall or so, you know, almost my height. And we stuck him out in the front yard near our tree. And every single morning he would fall down. Every morning I'd get up and I'd I'd look out and there he is, he's on the ground again. And he'd fall to this side, and he'd fall to this side, and I'm like, I'm trying to do things to keep this Santa Claus to stand, and he just won't stand up. Every day I get out there, and he falls down, and he falls down. And I kept thinking, it's got to be like kids or something. I mean, somebody's got to be knocking this Santa over, but ours is the only one. Like the whole rest of the street, all theirs are still standing, just, just ours. He's falling down. It was such a pattern that our next-door neighbors, who have a great sense of humor, one morning they took an empty wine bottle and they stuck it by him. 
That Santa Claus had a turbulent life, very unstable, I just couldn't stand up. And, and as I look at Israel heading into this season that we're in, it was very unstable. From one ruler to another ruler, they had a number of rebellions where they had to be put down. It was very unstable. I look at our world today, it feels unstable from all of the terrorism to the economy to the elections. There's just this feeling that it's unstable. I don't feel like I'm standing on solid ground as I look out at our world, even personally sometimes. I look at my life, and it feels like I'm one night away from just falling over, from being that Santa that is on the ground, hopefully not with the empty wine bottle, but the Santa on the ground. Have you ever felt, or do you feel, or do you look at the world and feel like it seems very unstable? This morning, I want to talk about the greatest stability you can ever have. That the message that the angel is bringing to Mary is one of eternal stability that cannot be overturned, it cannot be knocked down, it will never fall down. And it's being offered as something for us to anchor our lives to. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're starting in verse 26. And in this chapter, and especially in this section, but really throughout the whole chapter, there is so much Old Testament. It's just loaded with symbols and connections. And we're going to see some of them in the announcement from the angel. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Galilee is north of Jerusalem. Nazareth, at this point, is a very tiny village. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. But it's this little kind of backwater village. And this is where the angel is sent to. Now, I'm not going to talk much about this, but there is a a parallel going on. If you read before this and you look at what happens with Zechariah, Gabriel was also sent to Zechariah, but there's a big difference between the two. Zechariah is a priest, and he is in the midst of doing something that he only does once in his entire life. He's lighting the incense in the holy place. I mean, it's the highlight of his entire career. And there are all these people out front where they're all praying and there's this big service going on. And that's when the angel shows up to make an announcement to him. Well, now we've got an announcement to this little tiny backwater town. There's no pomp and circumstance. There's nothing like that going on. But the angel is coming. The sixth month is a reference to Elizabeth. She's been pregnant now for six months. Verse 27 to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. All right, we know a couple things from this verse. We know there's this girl who is betrothed. It means she's in the first of a two-part stage of marriage in this culture. 
The first part is an engagement that is similar to marriage. It's that strong. The bride price has already been paid. They are considered together. It's, it, you'd be divorced to break apart. Right? And you're in that period right now. Because of their culture, Mary is likely somewhere between about 12 and 15 years old. That would have been the time where this would have happened. She's a little girl, and she is a virgin. She is pure, she is chaste, she's what she's supposed to be, and she lives in this little backwater town of Nazareth. And then we learn one other thing. She's betrothed to a man, and we learn two things about him. His name is Joseph, and then the important thing. He is of the house of David. Now, if you're Jewish and you've been waiting 400 years for the promise that was made to David to be fulfilled for a king who would sit on the throne, you've been waiting for the promises of Abraham that you'd be a blessing to all the nations, you've been waiting for the promises of Yahweh to return, and you hear that this man is of the house of David, you might perk up a little bit to hear the rest of the story. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, this is a happy greeting. In fact, the word has underneath it the idea of rejoicing. It can actually mean rejoice in certain contexts. This is a greetings with a smile on the angel's face. This is a happy greeting. And it's followed with these very special words, O favored one, you are a recipient of the grace of God. You are favored by God. The Lord is with you. That exact phrase is used in the Old Testament of Gideon. And Gideon says in response, but I'm of a very small clan. There's a parallel here. Gideon is called by God to do something amazing because the Lord is with you, Gideon, not because of how big your clan is. And here's this little girl in this little town who has really nothing, and yet God is with her and she is favored. Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Um, she kind of, do you know people who don't read social cues very well? Like something's going on and they just kind of miss it. Here's the angel going, Greetings with this big smile and saying, You are favored by God. Well, and she hears the greeting and she shrinks back and she is, it says, greatly troubled. It's, she's disturbed. She's going, What is going on? Um, she's missed the smile and seen the power of the angel. She's missed the words and wondered, Why in the world would this be coming to me? And I can even imagine, maybe, that Mary is wondering what kind of trouble she is in. Because why else would an angel show up to her? It's like when you get a call from your boss. It can only mean one thing, right? You've done something wrong. This is like there's something she's... In fact, the angel's response to her shows us that she was afraid. Now that doesn't quite fit, and yet in a way it does. When the angel shows up and says, Greetings. You are favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary's going, ah. And so here's what the angel says to her. Oh, and by the way, the, um, that discerning, it's an intense curiosity where Mary is afraid and yet going, what in the world could this mean? 
She's really trying to figure things out. Verse, 29, uh, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. And more literally in Greek, it is stop being afraid. It's a present tense response to the circumstance right now. Mary, stop fearing. I can see you right now that you are afraid. Stop fearing. Let me explain. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And if you know your Old Testament at all, that also is a very particular thing. Noah found favor with God. Joseph found favor with God. And King David found favor with God. This little girl is in really good company. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Even that language is very specific. This is the description of Sarah when she gets her child. This is the description of Samson in Judges when his mother is having him. This is the description of Isaiah in chapter 7 where likely he is the one, his wife is the one who's going to have the child. There are so many Old Testament references that are going on right here, and they are all positive. And you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is the transliteration of the Hebrew Joshua, and it means Yahweh saves. What are they waiting for? Yahweh to return. They are waiting for him to come back. Up here, these are the new things that Lori has done, the new artwork. And this last one is representative of the final story that we talked about, where Yahweh leaves the temple. And they've been waiting for him to come back. And here it is. You are going to have a son and name him Yahweh Saves. But we're not done. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and that is most likely not a reference to his deity, but rather that is, a term, that is the terminology of a king. In contemporary Roman times, the sons of God, the son of the most, that's a king language, that's royalty. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Second Samuel, what we covered. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the culmination of 2,000 years. This is all the way back to Abraham and the promise made to him. And moving forward through the people in all of these passages that we've covered, Mary, your child is the one. And what's so phenomenal about the promise is it's not just that there will be a king on the throne, David, because that's, that was happening. It's not happening now. But if you start with David and you go to Solomon and then you start walking through the kings, there were kings on the throne, but they were different kings. And they kept changing. And then Babylon came in and wiped it out and it stopped. The promise that's being fulfilled in Jesus is not just that there would be a king on the throne, but there would be one king on the throne. And that that one king will reign for eternity. That single king, there will never be upheaval. Think about how unstable it is when in an organization, the leader leaves. Think about all the kingdoms that came into Israel. Each one of them toppled at some point. 
Babylon was defeated. Assyria was defeated. The Greeks were defeated. They kept being defeated. The promise is this. One king eternally on the throne. Right now. There can be nothing more stable in the universe than Jesus Christ eternally reigning on the throne right now. Here's an image I will give you for stability. I want you to picture an anchor in your mind. You all know what anchors are for, right? They're to keep a boat in place. Here's how an anchor works. The anchor is let down all the way to the bottom. The boat may continue to move some because the anchor is going to get latched onto the bottom of the ocean. Then it holds the boat in place. There are actually different anchors for different kinds of ground. If the ground you're anchoring your boat on is sand, it's one kind of anchor. If it's rock, it's a different kind of anchor. There are different kinds of anchors. But here's the thing about how it holds the boat. It does not keep the boat in one place all the time. It allows the boat to actually move a little bit. And it has to. Because as the waves hit it, there's energy there that has to be released. And so the boat can move. However, it can't move so far as to be in danger. It keeps the boat in an area where it may receive the waves, it may receive the wind, it may rock and shake, but it won't go so far as to be destroyed. But it has to be able to move a little bit. But it is anchored there for its safety. Here's the stability that is offered to us in Christ as king on the throne. A stability for your life and mine that does not make all the waves and the wind go away. It lets us be safe as we sit in them. It holds us from being pulled too far out. It holds us from another ship who would also be anchored. If they're not, those two ships could collide. It keeps us in the safety of the harbor even as our life is jolting and the wind is coming. But here is the issue, I believe, and you can tell me if this is true of your life because I know it has been true of mine. The issue is, I am afraid to drop the anchor all the way to the ground. I am afraid to truly trust him while I'm sitting in the midst of those waves starting to rock. You see, I have the anchor and I drop it partway down, but I want to be able to move my own vessel when I don't like what's happening. I want to be able to still have control when things are not going the way I think they should go. When I get too afraid, when it rocks my boat too much, when the wind, I'm feeling it, I'm going, this isn't right, and I want to be able to move my boat where I think it's best. Instead of going, you are on the throne, and I'm putting my anchor into that. I'm dropping it all the way down. And I'm going to sit in the midst of the storm, trusting you instead of me. He is king now. 
not just to come, not just at the end, right now. He is king even though Donald Trump is going to be president. There are some of you in this room that cannot stand the thought of that. There are some of you in this room who cannot stand the thought of Hillary. I'm going to be frank. I'm not sure I can stand the thought of either one of them. But it doesn't matter. He is on the throne. You either believe that or you get lost in whoever is president. He is on the throne. Now, I want to try to make this as practical as I can. I want to take that truth that in this child, we have Yahweh returning to his people. We have the fulfillment of the prophecy, the promise, the covenant made to David that he will be on the throne. What does that mean for us? And I think in Mary's response, we see what it can mean. But here's what it will require. To follow as Mary is doing, you will have to drop the anchor the entire way. Go back into your text. Look at verse 34. This is Mary's response. And here's the first thing that if, if he is on the throne right now, if he is reigning, and that will not change, it is absolutely stable, no matter what's happening in your life, my life, our country, or the world. If that is true, then we need to rethink what we think is possible. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will then this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And again, that is so loaded with Old Testament imagery. The Holy Spirit floating over the waters at creation. God overshadowing him with his wings. That word overshadowed is what's used when we talked about God coming into the tabernacle. He overshadows it. Um, I mean, the language is just so full of Old Testament imagery. This is what's going to happen to you, Mary. God is going to come onto you. That's how this child's going to be born. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about Mary's question. Because if you're paying attention and you started at the beginning, Zechariah also asked a question. The angel came to Zechariah and said, your wife is going to have a kid. And Zechariah went, how's that going to happen? And the angel went, how dare you? How dare you doubt what God can do? And Zechariah still gets the child, but he will also be mute and deaf, most likely, for nine months until that child is born. And yet Mary seems to ask the same question, and the angel doesn't do anything like, oh, how dare you? Instead, he goes, let me explain it to you. Here is what is different and what is really hard to see in just language. Mary's question, based on the angel's response and even Mary's response, it is not a question of doubt, which is what Zacharias was. How is this going to happen? Zachariah has given up. 
Mary's question is a question of faith because she has so much faith in the possibilities. Mary's question is more like this. Wow, how's God going to do this one? I have no doubt that he can because reality is shaped by him. Like, if he's bringing the king in right now and he's going to reign, how are you going to do this one, God? And then God, and then the angel goes, this is what's going to happen, Mary. That is a different question. I would argue far too often I'm asking Zachariah's question, not Mary's. As the winds start picking up, as things start getting hard, as I get angry or I get hurt or I can't see an answer, I'm not asking Mary's question, oh God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this situation. Can't wait to see how this is going to come out, the way you're going to make me grow and the way this other person's going to grow and, and the way this is going to turn out when I'm going to look back and go, wow. Because how many times in hindsight have you been thoroughly blessed by the actions of God in your life? How many times have you looked back and gone, wow, I didn't see that coming. Mary's going, wow, right now. Mary's already going, wow. Like, I don't know what this is going to mean or how you're going to do it, but God, I can't wait to see it. And far too often, I'm Zachariah going, I've given up. My anchor is not all the way down. I'm holding it partway up, and I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to live off of my anger, my bitterness, my doubt, my whatever it is, my impatience, instead of lowering that thing all the way and just going, God, I don't get how you're going to do this. This is kind of painful right now. I don't understand it, but I'm excited to see what you're going to do because you are king no matter my circumstance. That's what Mary is asking right now in that question. This little boy came back from Sunday school, and his mom said, what'd you learn today? We do that a lot here, I think. I do it with my kids. Some of you probably do it with yours because you know that they are learning the same kinds of things we are. His mom said, what'd you learn in Sunday school? And the boy said, we learned about this man named Moses and that he was in Egypt and he was leading the people out of Egypt. But the Egyptians followed him. And so as they were going out, they came to this big river, and Moses had his men build a bridge over it. And then once they all got to the other side, Moses called in an airstrike, and the planes came and blew up that bridge so the Egyptians couldn't follow them. And his mom looked at him, and she said, is that really what your teacher taught you? And the boy said, no, but it's what she meant. I mean, you wouldn't believe the story she told us. <laughs> Even as we laugh at that, I wonder how much we're like that little boy sometimes. Mary was not. Mary was going, God, anything is possible, even as the angel says, with you. Can we get to that point because he's king, where we're saying Anything is possible with God. Number one, reality changes. Reality shifts. If he's really on the throne, we can ask questions of faith, not of doubt. To say, God, no matter what's going on, how are you going to do this, God? I can't wait to see the way you're going to work. I know this is hard right now, but God, I know you're working because you're king. Number two, look back at your text. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Our identity 
shifts in its immediacy if he is on the throne right now. Our identity shifts in its immediacy. Here's what Mary says. This is her response to that. Behold, which is a weird word. How many of you use that very often? You walk in and go, behold, I am here. (laughs) We still do that. That's kind of weird. But here's its point. What I'm about to say is really important. It's like saying, listen up. I am the servant of the Lord. Bond servant would be a best translation of this. One who is in slavery because they've chosen to do it, but now that they're there, they cannot get out. They've chosen them. This is putting myself into it. This is for Mary, her identity. I am a bondservant of the Lord right now. What's your identity? Because I want to suggest to you that identity is really, really important. Like it moves you. Some of your decisions are based on your identity. Let me give you some examples. I remember, vaguely, it's not real strong, but I remember when the preacher said, I now present to you for the first time. And all of a sudden, my wife and I were were combined. Like we were one. Now, I had to grow into that. That all my decisions now were her decisions too. But today, I I can't actually imagine life just me. Like, we're so connected at this point. My identity is in her as husband and wife. Decisions, thinking, future, all of it. I think about becoming a priest. Like, it's not just a, a dress that I wear on Sunday mornings, as much as I don't want to wear dresses ever. This is not just a dress I wear on a Sunday morning. But this is something about who I am now. Part of my ministry to the people of God is being a priest. I remember becoming a dad. I mean, the first time, I remember changing her diaper. And like, I was just, I'm looking at this little child that I've known for like 30 seconds. And going, boy, I'm totally yours. Like, whatever you want, you can have it. I'm, I'm totally there. Now, there was a moment where it became even bigger my daughter, when she was very young, um, I think probably around nine months, she just kind of started saying her first very kind of words, things. And she is crawling through the kitchen, and I'm sitting at the kitchen sink. And she's crawling through, and she looks up at me, and she goes, Dada. And it was the first time. And, and, and I'm Dada. I am, I am this little girl's dad. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay. I can do what it takes. Like, it's, it's guiding me, directing me. I'm her dad. Now, a moment later, she looked at the fridge, and she went, Dad, Dad. <laughs> but I took it anyway. Our identity is so significant. And here's the thing. I think far too often, I might think of myself as a child of God, a servant of God, but I think of it as God being an absentee father. There's no immediacy to it. He's way out there somewhere paying child support, and I get a Christmas card sometimes, but I'm not living as if he's right here. Like he's my king right now. I'm his servant. As if I walk into his throne room daily. But Mary is saying, I am the servant of the Lord, 
right now, can you embrace that identity that he's king right now and you can walk into the throne room? And finally, it's her last response. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me according to your word. The possibilities of reality are different if he's on the throne and you fully drop your anger. Our identity as being in his presence right now all the time, he is our king, we're serving him day to day, can change us if we drop the anchor all the way. But also the depth of submission. Here's what's so interesting about her comment. As much stability as the angel is bringing by Jesus being on the throne, there's that much instability coming into Mary's life by saying, I will do it. She is offering herself up to be pregnant and the only explanation she's going to have to everybody is God did it. Is there anybody in the room that if your wife came up to you and you knew it wasn't yours and she said, God did it, that she'd be like, okay. Now, maybe after this sermon, because you believe so much. But I mean, she's putting herself in a really precarious situation here. Here's what should happen in her culture. Joseph should publicly put her away. That will keep his honor. Her family will ostracize her. She will then live her life as a beggar, a prostitute, or she'll die. That's what God is forcing onto her right now. At least that's one possibility. Her own stability is being turned upside down by the stability of God. And yet, because he is king and he's on the throne, Mary says, let it be to me, because I'm your servant. I'm your servant, God. Whatever you want, I will do it. This is what submission looks like. Um, had a friend, and some of you will know the friend, and so I'm going to leave his name out. And in their yard, they had this tree that was right next to the fence, and it would drop leaves in the neighbor's yard a lot. And the neighbors, new neighbors who moved in, hated it. And what they would do is they would go get the leaves, pick them up, and drop them back over the fence. Regularly. Just take these leaves, drop them back over the fence. Drop them back over the fence. And they got so tired of it that one day, when this person came home, the tree had been cut down. The neighbors went into their yard and just cut the tree down. Now, how are you feeling right now? That is how much freedom God wants in your life. He wants to be able to walk into your life and cut down anything he wants to without your permission. That's how much submission he wants in your life. That's where Mary's at. Where Mary says, this may ruin my entire life, God, but I am your servant. You are the king. Let it be to me as you have said. I will trust you through this as my king. Please don't go cut down anybody's tree. But will you let God do it to you? 
He is on the throne right now. And for the next four months, we are going to talk about what it means that he's on the throne, what the kingdom of Jesus looks like. As we go through the Gospels and we go through Epiphany and Lent, we're going to talk about the way in which Jesus becomes king through the Gospels. We're going to look in Easter at what that means for us, that he is king. But he is king right now, brothers and sisters. And because of that, our reality can be different. We can have questions of faith, not doubt. Because of that, we can have an identity of being a servant. Not that he's just some distant God out there, that right now, he's our king. And our submission, because of those two things, can be total in all areas. I never got that snowman to stand up, ever. I eventually just got rid of the snowman. However, uh, Santa, I'm sorry, I never got the Santa to stand up. However, there is one thing I will say about that Santa. He never blew away from my yard. He fell down a lot, but he never blew away from my yard. Drop the anchor all the way. He will take care of you, even if the winds come, even if the storm comes. It may hurt, but he will take care of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. Lord, that you would send him to be king, that he would have all authority on heaven and on earth given to him, and that we get the privilege and the joy of being his servants. Lord, help us this Advent season to live into that, to ask questions of faith because we believe in possibilities that are beyond anything except you. Lord, that we would embrace being your servant right here, right now. And Lord, that our submission, because of our faith in you and because of your power, and that you would help us in this, would go beyond what anything we could do except by your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.